This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today, Rev. Richard Edwards shares with us about seeing the value of others. How do you value others? How do you see God in the stranger and the people closest to you? Bill Johnson, senior leader at Bethel Church of Redding, California, says, There's something about valuing people not because they value you, but because you can see God in them. And now, here's Richard with our message. Good morning. It's great to be with you on this day. Uh, I love Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, Every time Paul thinks of his friends in in Philippi, he's filled with joy. And almost all of Paul's letters that he writes include a prayer of thanksgiving for the congregations that he's reaching out to. But the depth of the feeling that he has for the church at Philippi is special and unique. And even though he's writing this letter from a, from a prison cell, you can just feel the joy overflowing inside of him as he, as he thinks about these people that he loves. So let's hear his words this morning from the second chapter of Philippians. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interest of others. And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A man wanders into a small antique store in San Francisco. Mostly it's cluttered with knickknacks that are all over the floor. However, he notices what looks like an ancient Chinese vase. And on closer inspection, it turns out to be a priceless relic from the Ming Dynasty, and its value is beyond calculating. It is worth everything else put together in that store. The owner clearly has no idea about the value of this possession because it's filled with milk and a cat is drinking out of it. The man sees an opportunity for the, for the deal of a lifetime. He, he cleverly strategizes a method to obtain that vase for a fraction of its cost. That's an extraordinary cat you have, he says to the owner. How much would you sell her for? Oh, the cat's not really for sale, says the owner. She keeps the store free of mice. I really must have her, the man counters. Tell you what. I'll give you $100 for her. She's not really worth it, laughs the owner, but, but if you want her that badly, she's yours. I need something to feed her from as well, continues the man. 
Let me throw in another $10 for that saucer that she's drinking out of. Well, I could never do that. That saucer is actually an ancient Chinese vase from the Ming Dynasty. It's my prized possession. Its worth is beyond calculation. Funny thing though, since we've had it, I've sold 17 cats. <laughs> Friends, the ability to assign value is one of the rarest and most precious gifts in this world. People who live deeply in community with others learn to discern and express the value of other human beings. They're gifted in expressing love through their words and their actions. And they assign high worth and value to other people by viewing them as priceless gifts. They see that in addition to the as-is tag that every human being carries, another sticker from God that says, made in my image, worth the life of my son, my prized possession whose value is beyond calculation. Today, for just a few moments, I wanna talk with you about relationships in the church. Looking to lessons we can learn from a, from a very early community of Christians as we witness it in scripture and looking to opportunities that we have today to connect and care for and to truly value each other. It's the heart of what it really means to be a Christian. You know, we complicate our faith in our lives in, in many ways, but at the core, our purpose is very simple. We are called to love and seek to be in relationship with others in ways that lift up and affirm their worth and look to their needs. And this is the message that, that the Apostle Paul shares in his letter to the Philippians. Paul and his companions began the church at Philippi on the second of his three missionary journeys. It was the very first church established on the European continent. In Eastern Macedonia, that would today be what we think of as Northeastern Greece. And the Philippian church had sent a gift of appreciation to Paul. And here was Paul in a Roman prison at this time. And even in that prison cell, he wrote this letter to thank them for their gift and to encourage them in their faith. In recalling their life as a community formed by the gospel, Paul uses some really key words that should characterize a, a believing community that is built on Jesus Christ. Words like joy and fellowship and love, partnership, affection, unity, humility, like-minded, and one in spirit and purpose. And he writes in language that assumes that these feelings and experiences are genuinely theirs. But he also calls on them to progress and to mature and to keep on going, to become even more stronger in these vital qualities of their common life, things that will strengthen them and sustain them. These are the pillars of a, of a healthy and whole relationship that bind followers of Jesus Christ together. These are the qualities that nourishes, nourish our spirits and lift up our souls. Now, I wanna say something this morning. When Paul calls the Philippian Christians to be of the same mind, 
He is not commanding them to agree on everything. There is no Christian community this side of heaven that will ever do that. No, Paul is not asking for uniformity of belief. He's calling for harmony in our relationships, mutual concern and love for one another, and a sense of caring in our fellowship together that allows Jesus Christ to do powerful and good work through us. I'm an older guy now, I'm 66. I've been retired from full-time ministry for a few years. And I have long since thrown out most of the cliches that I used through the years that I served in ministry. Some of them, frankly, were just too simple. They were too narrow. Some of them, I confess, were just mind-numbingly stupid. But there is one statement that I've held on to, and it seems more true to me than it did in 1985 when I first heard it voiced by my mentor and my district superintendent, Reverend John Trundle, over in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. John said to a group of us pastors, a lot of us who were pretty young back then, he said this that day. He said, others will not care, will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. I have found those words to be true in my life, and I've tried to live by those words throughout my ministry, certainly in imperfect ways. But I think Paul was touching on that theme when, when he wrote these great words that now form the second chapter of Philippians. He went on to say in that passage, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and any sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, actually regard others as being better than yourselves. And let each of you look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Even as Paul pointed that young community of Christians toward unity and asked them to love one another and encourage them to care for the problems of others as if they were their own problems, he also called them to avoid certain qualities that, that could lead them away from the body of Christ. One of those is just utter selfishness. The, what I call today the it's all about me syndrome, which is prevalent in our society. The self-important personality who pretends that he knows everything. The person who is too hungry for compliments and the person who can never offer a compliment to anyone else, and the heart that has very little room for others besides himself. Paul warned against all of these tendencies and, and the damage that they could do in our relationships, and he reminded them of a way that was much better. The willingness to be able to bear one another's burdens, partnering together to share the gospel in our community, being present with other people in their joys and also in their sufferings, and seeking in your life to, to embody a servant's heart. All of these things point toward the image of Christ that we see so beautifully portrayed in the following verses, 5 through 11 in 2 Philippians. 
Many have called these perhaps the most beautiful picture of all in scripture of, of the nature of the character of Jesus Christ. And it's arguably the greatest and one of the most moving passages that Paul ever wrote about Jesus, certainly the most descriptive. But not only is this a very vivid description of who Jesus is, it is a call to us. Friends, Jesus calls us to a life of grace. He calls us to be servants of others, to put their interests first, to, ahead of our own interests. He calls us to give up the right to be in charge of our own life, and that's a tough one. That's a tough one for me. Instead, as we try to empty ourselves and we try to follow in the path of Jesus' servanthood, we become available and we become vulnerable. And amazingly, we experience a deeper kind of freedom in our life. And all of this is calling us to be in relationship in, in new ways and with new people. I think it's calling us to break down barriers by finding that stranger out there and welcoming the stranger. It's, it's calling us and inviting, to invite that new person into our long established group or perhaps even forming a new group without all the expectations and understandings that go with a group that has been tight and been together for many years. You see, Jesus always had an eye out for that person who was on the outside, that person who felt alone. He met a little man named Zacchaeus who was up in a tree one day and, and Jesus called him out of that tree and invited himself to Zacchaeus' home. Jesus met a woman at the well in the middle of the day in the hot sun, a woman who had come to draw water at a time that she hoped no one else would be there. And Jesus had a conversation with that woman that changed her life. Jesus specialized in, in meeting and loving people on the outer edges. And he tried to say to his first disciples and to those earliest followers of Christ, this is important for you too. You see, Jesus understood that, that there are few joys in life like being wanted and chosen and embraced. And there are few pains like being excluded and rejected or left out. At the core of the Christian community is the choice between exclusion or embrace. And the choice, let's be honest, comes to us every day in this very highly polarized culture that we're living in. Who will we spend time with? Who will we reach out to? Who will we embrace? Who will be, we exclude? They look at things politically different than I do. Friends, will we build walls or will we build bridges? Years ago, the poet Robert Frost wrote a poem called The Mending Wall. And in the poem, a farmer comes out in the spring with his neighbor to walk their property line. I can relate to this. I grew up on a farm here in East Tennessee. Every spring, they find the same thing. The stone wall that had stood erect last year has crumbled a little bit. The rocks keep falling down. The fence keeps coming down. Maybe it's the wind. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's just a mystery. But every year they go back and they build up the wall that separates them. And over the next year, it keeps falling into disrepair. Now, one farmer is not so sure that they even need the wall, but the other one says, good fences 
make good neighbors. Robert Frost, the poet, makes this comment. Spring brings out the mischief in me, and he allows himself to begin to wonder if it's really true that good fences make good neighbors. Maybe life isn't about walls and fences and keeping people out. And Robert Frost then says this, before I built a wall, I would ask to know what I was walling in or what I was walling out and to whom I was likely to give offense. Since the beginning of time, since Cain and Abel, the human race has been building walls. But then along came Jesus and he modeled something very different. He focused on that which would connect us. He built bridges to connect human beings. Jesus is the greatest bridge that the world has ever known. And when the church understands his heart, it becomes a community like nothing else the world has ever seen. I wanna close with a story told by a wonderful woman who died a few years ago, the late Nell Money. Nell was the author of many books. She was a wonderful writer for years for the Chattanooga Times and the wife of Dr. Ralph Money, who was really one of the best uh, preachers, United Methodist preachers of the 20th century. She spoke here at First Farragut in 2004, just a few months after we had moved in to this new place. She tells the story of a young boy named Teddy Stollard. He was not the kind of kid who got invited to parties. He slouched in his chair, he looked bored most of the time, he only spoke when he was called upon and then only in one or two syllables. He never dressed right, his clothes smelled. He was a rather unattractive boy. And whenever his teacher would mark Teddy's papers, she got a certain perverse pleasure out of marking all the wrong answers on his paper. She would put an F on top of the, the paper with a little bit of a flare. But if she had really checked, she might have known better because Teddy's history was there on record. Here's what it said. First grade, Teddy's a good boy and shows promise, but he has a really poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy is quiet and withdrawn. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy is falling behind. His mother died this year. His father is uninvolved. Fourth grade, Teddy is hopelessly backward. His father has moved away. Teddy is living with an aunt and he's a deeply troubled child. Christmas came that year and all the children brought presents to school and they were carefully wrapped except for Teddy's, which was packaged in brown wrapping paper and held together with tape and twine and it was marked for Miss Thompson from Teddy. The teacher would open the presents one by one for the class to admire, and when she opened Teddy's, there was a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing, and there was a bottle of perfume that was mostly gone. The other children started to laugh at him, but, but Miss Thompson called herself, and putting on the bracelet, she said, isn't it lovely, class? Doesn't the perfume smell good? At the end of the class, Teddy approached Miss Thompson shyly. 
I'm glad you like my gifts, Miss Thompson, he whispered. All day long, you smelled like my mother, and her bracelet looked nice on you, too. After he left, Miss Thompson just put her head down on that desk, and she cried. And she asked God to forgive her. She prayed that God would help her see what he sees when he looks at a motherless boy. And when the children came back to school the next day, Miss Thompson was a new teacher. She tutored the children who needed extra help, Teddy most of all. And by the end of the year, he had caught up with most of his classmates, and he was ahead of some of them. After that, she didn't hear from him for a long, long time. And then one, one day, she received a note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to know that I'll be the f- I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm graduating from high school and I'm second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later came another note. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know that I'm graduating first in my class. University has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. And then four years later, a final note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, medical doctor. How about that? I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat because you're the nearest thing to family that I've ever had. Love, Teddy. Friends, the ability to assign value is one of the rarest and one of the greatest gifts in the world. So value what God values. There's an ancient story about a a poor traveler who is amazed by the welcome that he receives at a monastery. He's served a lavish meal, he's escorted to the finest room, and he's given a new set of clothes to, to replace the rags that he arrived in. Before leaving, he commented to the abbot, the abbot on how well he was treated. Yes, the abbot said, we always treat our guests as if they're angels just to be on the safe side. Friends, may it be so for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May we join together in our affirmation of faith this morning. We believe in God, creator of the world and of all people, and in Jesus Christ, incarnate among us, who died and rose again, and in the Holy Spirit, present with us to guide, strengthen, and comfort. We believe. Help our unbelief. We rejoice in every sign of God's kingdom, in the upholding of human dignity and community, in every expression of love, justice, and reconciliation, in each act of self-giving on behalf of others, in the abundance of God's gifts entrusted to us, that all may have enough in all responsible use of the earth's resources. Glory be to God on high and on earth peace. We confess our sin, individual and collective, by silence or action, through the violation of human dignity based on race, class, age, sex, nation, or faith, through the exploitation of people because of greed and indifference, through the misuse of power in personal, communal, national, and international life, through the search for security by those military and economic forces 
that threaten human existence through the abuse of technology which endangers the earth and all life upon it. Lord, have mercy. Christ, Christ have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We commit ourselves individually and as a community to the way of Christ, to take up the cross, to seek abundant life for all humanity, to struggle for peace with justice and freedom, to risk ourselves in faith, hope, and love, praying that God's kingdom may come. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Friends, we're grateful for the gifts uh, that God has given you and that you abundantly share with this community of faith that'll enable First Fair get to continue to serve and to reach out and to make a real difference. When you do that, you're expressing Christ's love for other people. And so I invite you this morning, uh, you can text to give, as you see on the screen, there is a secure box at the, the back of the sanctuary or you could also uh, give by mailing your gifts to the church. But we thank God for you and the gifts that you share. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week for Christ the King Sunday. See you then.